And all right, welcome everybody. Hey, welcome. welcome, welcome. Good welcome. to have you here. Great Nine day on the trail. 9 a.m. 9 o'clock church. Let's play Nine. two today. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Baseball we'll reference. We're, gonna, we're having two services. Thank you for being here at 9 o'clock. Thank you to everyone who's checking in live online. We're glad that you're here watching via live stream on Facebook or YouTube, or maybe you're watching this video at some point in the future. We're glad you're here. If you are watching now or at any point, we encourage you to share this video. It'll be helpful to a lot of people that are friends or, or, or follow you on uh, social media. So share this video. We would appreciate it, and it would help spread the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, we want to make sure that if you are here for the first time or one of the first few times and you haven't received one of our welcome packets, we'd like to get one in your hand. So raise your hand. Lynn will get that to you. It has a connection card as was mentioned on the video. Thank you guys again for coming. Yeah, and so now I want, to, I want us to uh, transition to a little time of, of, of giving, of, of being generous. And I would say if you're, you know, there's multiple ways that you can give at Church on the Trail. We've got a kiosk out there. We've got um, boxes around the, the church. If you're watching online at churchonthetrail.org slash give as well. And I want you to know that um, your giving, it's not just, we're not just, not just part of it. It's, it fuels the ministries of the church. Um, your giving, your generosity fuels things like the homeless ministry. It fuels things like our kids' areas. It fuels things like Generations, y'all, which is a, right. our foster uh, care prevention ministry. It fuels us being able to be out in the community, outside of the walls of, these church, of this church, and be the church out in the world to share Christ's love, to share, to be his hands and to be his feet. And your generosity fuels all of that. Right. You know, I'll give you a great example. We have a need right now, and we have a need for two men in a truck. We can't afford to call up two men in a truck <laughs> and have them come do it for us. We've got a couple of families that we're serving in our generations ministry that we've had, we've got furniture, beds, tables and stuff that needs to be delivered in the in you know one this week and I think autumn the next one next week. Yeah, so we need y'all if you're watching online and you've got a pickup truck and you can round up some people to help, call Autumn Morgan or you can email her at autumn at church on the trail.org. We have a need and we need to be the church that fills those needs in the name of Christ. And so let let us uh, Richard's gonna pray mm -hmm. uh, for our offering right now. Yeah, let's uh, let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship. Those of us who are gathered here physically in the building and those of us who are gathering by watching online, this is such a privilege and we're grateful for it. We are also grateful for the opportunity to worship by giving. So we're asking you, Lord, as we give of our funds today here in-house and online or however it is that we give, we ask you to receive these gifts as worship, because that's truly what they are. And our prayer is, is that you would take our resources and that you would reach people and that you would meet needs much in the way that Ed was just describing a moment ago. God, help us be generous for the sake of others so that your kingdom and your word will be spread. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, so before we get started uh, today, I want to I kind of fill you in on one more thing. Uh, and if you can get that slide up 
with the men's event. Um, we've got a men's ministry event, a trailblazers event, and you'll see it on the screen in a second. Uh, you won't, okay, you won't see it on the screen in a minute. Um, October the 16th and 17th, we've got a, men, a trailblazers event, a weekend, a men's weekend, and uh, we've got a guest speaker, Cameron Arnett, who played uh, the little girl's father in the movie Overcomer. He's going to be here speaking. We've got axe throwing. We've got uh, all kind of different things, manly, testosterone-driven things that we'll be doing that weekend. We're going to have a cookout. Uh, it's just going to be a great time of fellowship um, among, among men. If you're, if you're not a, a man, then you're really not welcome at that event. So that is for men, and we invite you to go. Again, you can go to the events tab on, our, uh, on churchonthetrail.org, and you can register for that. I really encourage you to invite your friends and, and, and come to that. It's Friday night and Saturday. It's going to be a great weekend. So look, y'all, we, uh, we are in the last week of a series that we're, we've called Set Free. We're looking at what Paul said to us, to the Roman uh, folks in the folks in Rome and to us, you know, a couple thousand years later, in chapter six and seven of that of that letter of that book uh, called Romans, and we have paid particular attention over the last several weeks to what he says about freedom. We've been set free, and what that means. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the purpose. What is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the commandments that are in the Old Testament? And the fact that they're not a checklist, they're not a checklist to be followed for the sake of just scratching them off kind of one at a time. No, that's not the purpose of the law. We concluded last week that God gave us the law because he loved us and that he knew that we needed something to point us towards his son. That's the big picture purpose, flying at 35,000 feet looking down at the law. That's the big picture purpose purpose. It was uh, to point us towards Christ, to show us that our nature is depraved and messed up and jacked up and point us towards his son. That's the purpose. Today, we're going to be in the latter part of chapter 7. And y'all, this is a great passage of scripture, uh, starting in verse 14 of chapter 7. It describes the struggling soul of a believer as he plows his way through life. And really, it is a pretty rare glimpse that Scripture gives us very much into the life of Paul, very much into Paul's struggle and what he, what he sensed and what he uh, learned and what he experienced as he struggles to please God and to grow and to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. It is the, co uh, the confessions, really. It's the confessions of a man's soul as he struggles through life. And again, we're going to start in verse 14. And I want to give you the first point today. We've got three or four or five points today. The first confession, if you will, and it is this. I am fleshy. F-L-E-S-H-Y. Fleshy. I'm fleshy. Now, y'all, we've talked about freedom for several weeks now. How is it that we can be free and yet we continue to do wrong? In Christ, we're free from the penalty of sin. We're free, and the penalty of sin is judgment. We're free from that 
judgment. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the hopelessness that it brings. But while we're still in the flesh, while we're still physically here, we're not free from the presence of sin. We have temptations. Raise your hand if you don't have temptations. So we're not free from that. We're not free from the possibility of sin. We have failures. Raise your hand if you don't ever fail, if you're just perfect. Look, Paul never, ever claimed that being under grace instead of being under the law meant that a believer was somehow above the law. That's not what he meant. It's not what he said. It's not what he meant. In fact, uh, uh, having described this huge delta between the law and sin, Paul himself came to realize that he was still, still, years later, he was still way more familiar with the reality of sin than, than he was with the righteous standard of the law. Being under grace, and we're all under grace, it does not eliminate the law. It changes the purpose of the law for me and you as Christ followers from being a source of judgment to being a source of guidance. And so Paul writes in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, or unspiritual. Or the King James translation uses the word carnal. The word carnal also means to, to be given up to the flesh. That is to live a, a fleshy, a sensual life. To surrender to like, uh, like animal appetites. To be controlled by our sinful nature. And such, as such, he can write the end of this, sold under sin. The end of verse 14, I'm sold under sin. And that, that, that saying, sold under sin, is like saying being given over to slavery. At one time, sin just controlled completely Paul's life. You know, man, the law has a super strange ability for reminding me and you of what we once were and of how captivating that old life can still appear to us. But our, our hope can never shift back or revert back to box checking. We've got to keep our eyes and our hearts and our spirits and everything that we are, we've got to stay focused on Christ. So his first confession that Paul makes in Romans chapter 7 is that I am fleshy, I'm carnal. And then in verse 15 he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And Paul makes three points about this, this, uh, about this being fleshy, about this being carnal and being sold under sin. He says that that fleshy life is, is a helpless, hopeless, endless struggle. He says in verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. It's like I don't even understand why I do this junk. He fights and he struggles and, and, and before you know it, he sinned again. And now we're talking about Paul, the apostle. He says, for I do not do what I want. He says, I want to do right. Like I want to please God. I want to conform to the image of his son and, and be all that God wants me to be. But despite the want to, I just keep falling short. 
but I do the very thing I hate, he says. Paul hated sin. He hated it. And he hated falling short of the glory of God. He hated it. And he, and he, and he fought his whole life to completely erase it from his life. But no matter how much he hated it, no matter how much he struggled against it, he found himself failing again. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, I hate the sin, and then 10 minutes later, I'm committing the sin? Don't give up. If that's you, you're in good company. Y'all were talking about the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And if he struggled with it, me and you were in good company. You know, there's only two kinds of people. There's lost sinners and there's saved sinners. And there's two kinds of saved sinners. Those that are fighting with sin and those that have just uh, just given into it. Keep fighting. Keep fighting against it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Listen, man, we love to say, we do, we love to say, we're under grace now. We're not under the law. We're not beholden to the law. We're under grace now. And yes, y'all, of course, of course we're under grace. But if you are really serious about understanding what that means, those of us that that really understand what being under grace really means, we take sin seriously. Sin is no longer our master, but it is still a super powerful adversary. If we, take, if, we, if we don't take this sin seriously, then it's easy to fall into it. And if we don't take the victory that is guaranteed us seriously, then we fail to embrace the Holy Spirit's help. Does that make sense? We gotta take sin seriously. And we gotta take the grace seriously. Peter, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he, it, he says it doesn't lead, our life does not lead us to expect it to be easy. Look what verse 8 says. It's a warning, y'all. He says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. And then he says, resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers all over the world. Listen. We may very well be slaves of a new master. We may very well be a slave to Christ. But we still live in enemy territory. Absolutely bought in. I'm a believer. I am a slave to Christ. But I still live, I'm flesh and bones, and I still live in the world, and the world is enemy territory. So the second point now that Paul makes about being fleshy is that when he sins, the law points that sin out. The law tells him the truth. He's a sinner, and he's doomed to die. And knowing this, the fleshy man is able to seek the Lord and the Lord's forgiveness. So then fleshy man's testimony, testimony his life really is a testimony that he agrees with the law, that the law is good. Well, why is the law good? Because it points me towards Christ. It points a man towards Christ. Now, that man may very well not actually follow through with that and seek the Lord and seek the forgiveness, but the law has done what the law is supposed to do. It's fulfilled its function 
and showed the man what he's supposed to do. And then Paul concludes in verse 17 that man has a sinful, depraved, corrupt nature. Verse 17 says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The sin is inside of me. Well, how did Paul come to that, that conclusion? Well, as a man who, and we're talking about Paul, who was a for real, straight up, absolutely no doubt believer, he didn't want to sin. Like he didn't want to. But he found that he couldn't keep from doing it. Well, why is that? It wasn't because uh, his mind wasn't focused on Christ. It wasn't that he didn't know God's will. It wasn't that he didn't try to do God's will. He did. It's not because he didn't call on every single thing inside of him to stop. Listen, it's not that, that I'm talking about myself. It's not that I'm not focused on Christ. I am. It's not that I don't know God's will. I do. It's not that I don't try to do God's will. I do. It's not that I don't call on everything inside of me to try to stop. I do. But Paul and me and you, we fail and we come short because in Paul's words, because of the sin that dwells within me. So this first confession that Paul makes is, dude, I'm fleshy. I'm fleshy. And then the second, the second confession that he makes is that there's nothing good inside of me. Starting in verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. For if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but once again, but the sin that dwells within me. So Paul declares there's nothing good in my flesh. Now that does not mean, and don't go down this road, it does not mean that he never did anything good. It doesn't mean that he never did a good work. It doesn't mean that I've never done anything good. It doesn't mean I've never done any good work. It doesn't mean that none of y'all have ever done anything good. It doesn't mean that if, if, if sin is dwelling in me that nothing good can ever happen. That's not what it means. It means that in our flesh, we cannot please God. In our flesh, we can't be as good as we ought to be. We can't be perfectly good. We can't conquer the tendency and the, and the push and the pull towards sin. We can't be conformed in our flesh to the image of Christ because if our flesh is contaminated by sin. It's diseased by sin, and we're condemned to face God's judgment. Now look at why, at why Paul says that there's nothing good in him. He says he wills and he desires not to sin, but it's all to no avail, he says. No matter how much he wants to, he falls short. He is always willing to do good. He's always willing to please God. It ain't for lack of want to. There's not a weakness in his will. There's not a weakness in his, here's a new uh, anatomical body part, a want to her. A want to her. He's not weak or missing a want to her. Y'all, where do you think the want to her is? Next to the heart. The want-toer is part of your heart. You've heard football coaches say, this kid has got heart. And what he's saying is this kid wants to. And so the want-toer, W-A-N-T-T-O-E-R, the want-toer, it's right next to your heart. And so Paul's not, 
missing that. His, it's strong. He wants to bad. All of us do. Well, how, how does he know? Uh, how does he know about this? How does he know? What, what is it that causes him to fall short? Because it's not a weakness of the will. It is because, how does he, so how does he know that there's something that's messed up? It is because what he desires to do, he fails to do. And because of the evil that he tries not to do, he does. You know, one of my kids, and I've told this story probably a year or two ago. One of my kids, when they were 13, I walked in from work. And, and he, he and my wife are having a reasonably deep conversation. And he said, Daddy, why do I do what I know I shouldn't do and I don't do what I know I should do? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Romans chapter 7. And you ain't never read the Bible. Oh, my goodness. He asked that question, and I said, it's because your mama ate the apple. And she says, because you weren't man enough to stop me. But the truth is, that question, y'all, we all have that same question. And Paul is struggling with this. And his conclusion in verse 17 is that man has a sinful, depraved, corrupt nature. He confesses there is nothing good inside of me. And then his third confession is this, that there is a war. There's a war raging inside of him. Verse 21 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, my want toer is activated, and I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. You ever experienced that? I'm wanting to do right, and right around the corner is evil. Verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This war that Paul is describing, it's between two laws, almost like two natures inside of me and you. And Paul says, as soon as he desires to do good, He's confronted by number one, verse 21 says, a law of evil. And number two, verse 23 says, the law of sin, it just jumps up in my face. The law of sin and the law of evil are at war with my inner being, verse 22 says, at war with the law of our minds, verse 23 says. And so this law of sin or this law of evil, what that means is it is there's a rule or there's a, a force or there's a principle, there's a pull or there's a tug inside of us. He calls it a law. Why does he call it a law? Because it seems like it always rises up and it always rules over us and it's pulling us towards sin. It's kind of, he calls it a law because it's, it's kind of enslaved our nature. And because it's not passive, it's active, and it's constantly, constantly struggling to gain and to maintain control over us. It is forever at, at war with the law of the inner being or the law of the mind. And y'all, you can, you can just hear and feel Paul's anguish if you read Romans chapter 7. And this law of the inner being, this law of the mind, that is this divine nature God's divine nature that when a believer says yes, that is implanted inside of us. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is talking about believers being partakers of the divine nature. 
Y'all, this law of the inner being, this law of the mind, it speaks to a new man that is created when we're born again. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about us putting on the new self and, and that we're created in the likeness of God. This speaks to the steadfast presence of Christ in a Christian's life in the, the steadfast indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, in, in short, simple terms, the law of the inner being, the law of our mind, it is a law or a rule or a tug of the Holy Spirit to please God. And you can really, really hear the pain in the struggle in Paul's words here. That the law of sin, the law of evil, of evil is, is just waging all-out war with his mind, trying to take him captive constantly, verse 23 says. And y'all, it is a struggle. It is a total struggle. And, and theologians over the years have argued whether Romans 7, 14 through 25 is really talking about believers or, if, or is it Paul talking about when he wasn't a believer? But y'all tell me, when you got saved, did the struggle go away? No. So Paul is talking about himself in the present tense in this part of Romans 7. It really is a struggle, but, but when the Lord is on our side, he provides us with his strength. It's not your strength. Ed doesn't do anything in Ed's strength. It's his strength. The apostle John he said something that is so true in 1 John chapter 4. I think it's going to be on the screen, yeah. He said, little children, you're from God and you have overcome them. Well, in context, who is them? Them is evil spirits. Them is false prophets that, that John's talking about. And then he says, for he who is in you. Well, who is it that's in you? The Holy Spirit is in you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So this third, this third confession is the war that Paul says is just raging inside of him. And then the fourth is this. He says, I'm wretched and need deliverance, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And y'all, the feeling in these verses, I'm reading it this week and I thought, Gosh, it is like we walk through life like just a, we're a walking civil war going on all the time. We can see what is good. We can see it. We know it. It's in our minds. We know what is good, but we just can't do it all the time. We can see what is wrong, but we can't not do it all the time. And all of us can say the same thing, every single one of us. There's this bondage, this power of sin inside of, of a believer's nature that we just can't totally resist. Way too often, me and you both, we find ourselves uh, distrusting God. We find ourselves being hard-hearted. We're loving the things of the world. We're loving ourselves. We're, we're being too prideful. We're being too cold. We're being too lazy. We disapprove of what we know is right, and we approve what we know is wrong. It happens too much, and we long I long for humility. I long for meekness. I long and I want the, the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be kind. I want to I I display love and joy and peace and patience. But then day after day after day, I wake up and the power of sin just jumps all up in my face again. And Paul says that's what happens. He struggles and struggles against it, but he, 
but he can't come up with the power to free himself. A believer, a believer, a Christ follower, inside somewhere senses that he's utterly helpless on his own. I sense that I'm helpless on my own, and I ache for God to free me. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, five, six hundred years ago, he said that this war between the flesh and the spirit, these are great words. He said that war between the flesh and the spirit continues in us as long as we live. In some more and others less, according as the one or the other principle is the stronger. Yet the whole man is flesh and spirit and contends with himself until he is completely spiritual. What he's saying is as long as we're a physical body, the war's going on. The war is going to go away when we die physically and we are with Christ eternally. So this verse, verse 24, Paul asks, well, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? He said, who's going to deliver me from my wretchedness? Who's going to deliver me from my depravity? At some point in life, nearly everybody asks that question in some sort of form or fashion. Who's going to do it? Help. Somebody help me. Who's it going to be? Paul's last confession answers that question. And Paul makes sure that his Roman audience knows that he believes that the answer is found in the gospel. And so his last confession, and it is the most important by, no, by all means, is that the deliverer is Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the question in verse 24. It's almost the answer of everything that builds up in Romans 1 through 7. And verse 25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So this agonizing that Paul's been going through for 10 or 11 verses here and really for six and a half chapters, it, it culminates in the question in verse 24, who, and the answer that Paul really is like screaming out to the world in verse 25 is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The New Living Translation reads, Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. In fact, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the message, the message paraphrase of Scripture, but the message paraphrases verse 24 and 25 like this, and I think it conveys, it, it really, and it's a lot longer, but it really conveys what I think Paul is saying. And it says, I've tried everything. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Y'all praise the Lord, there is deliverance. But don't miss this. Don't miss that deliverance doesn't come through some man-made law. Deliverance doesn't come through some, some man-possessed power or skills or abilities or some mystical, quote, force. Deliverance doesn't come from some mystical force that's out there that you just got to find. Deliverance comes from 
the one deliverer. The one deliverer. There's one way, y'all, and his name is Jesus Christ. The scripture is so clear on this, and Jesus himself is so clear on this. Look at John chapter 14 in verse 6. Jesus said to him, him is Thomas. He's talking to Thomas at the time. And so Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I. He says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I think Jesus delivers a believer in two ways. He justifies us. We talked about that several weeks ago. And to be justified just means that our standing changes in front of the Lord. Our, our, we, we have been made right in front of the Lord. We trade our sin for Christ's righteousness and we're justified. And then he places, number two, he places a believer under God's grace. Thank the Lord for that. And so Paul's conclusion is that he serves the law of God with his mind, and by that I mean a renewed mind, a changed mind, a saved mind. The believer who really, really understands that our deliverance is through Jesus, we learn something. We learn that our mind is transformed and our mind is renewed by Christ. We learn that our mind is born again and experiences new birth just like our, the, the old man that Paul talks about does. He learns that, that his old mind becomes the new mind and his old self becomes the new self. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think we can probably sum all of this up if we think back to something I said a couple weeks ago. I said that me and you are going to be a slave to something or somebody. Something. We're going to be a slave to somebody. So am I really a slave? Am I, am I really a slave? The truth is there is a huge tension in the daily walk of a Christ follower. There is a huge tension in the Christian experience. I have a friend of mine who calls me about every three months and he says he used to be here and he moved to uh, California three or four years ago. About every three months, well, I must not be saved. It'll be three o'clock in the morning, y'all. I must not be saved. Let me tell you what I did. And I'm like, bro, ho. That is an indication that you are saved. You wouldn't have that conviction if you weren't. We get off the phone, two, three months later, same thing, same thing. I just must not be saved. Let me tell you what I did today. Blah, 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 y'all. That is the struggle and the tension in the, in the life of a Christ follower. The conflict that exists is that we agree with God's commands, but we can't consistently do them. And as a result, a Christian is painfully aware of our sin. Painfully aware of our sin. That struggle, that internal struggle uh, with the sin was as real for Paul as it is for me and you today. Absolutely no doubt. From Paul, we learn what to do about it. Whenever Paul felt overwhelmed by the spiritual battle, he would return his mind to the beginnings of his spiritual life remembering how he had been freed from the chains of sin by Christ on that Damascus road. My challenge to you is when you start feeling that crazy struggle, think back, take your mind back to the day that you were saved. When we feel overwhelmed 
confused by sins of uh, appeal, and you will. I promise you, you will be confused by the appeal that sin has. So when it's knocking on your door, when it looks so good, just claim the freedom that Christ gave you. Lock on to the liberty that we have in Christ. It's His power that can lift us to victory. It is in Christ alone. It is in Him alone, y'all. This is, this is it's all about Jesus. You think you're with the right one. You think you're believing the right one. You're not. It is Him and it is Him alone. Some of y'all, some of y'all probably remember a show uh, called The Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It's Alfred Hitchcock who was a producer of super weird and bizarre stories. Um, I'm pretty sure they're all in black and white, so we're talking about a long time ago. And you can catch reruns. But there was one, one story, one episode about a murderous woman. And this murderous woman was condemned to prison. And this murderous woman, she vowed that, that she would never be held captive. She was going to escape. She was going to find her freedom. They weren't going to be able to hold her captive. She was going to be free. And so every day this woman, uh, she studied her surroundings. And one day she sees this guy and she noticed him. He's a grave digger. And it, it was his job to cart prisoners off that had died so they could be buried in the prison graveyard that was right outside of the, uh, of the fences. And this, this grave digger, he was an old dude. He moved real slow. His eyesight was jacked up because he had cataracts. And this crazy woman approached him one day to bribe him into helping her escape to freedom. And she had a simple plan. She said, when the death bell told, y'all, that's Hitchcockian language. The death bell told. Some inmate died, the bell rings. So when that happened, she was going to make her way down to the morgue and she was going to climb in one of the coffins, the coffin with the dead guy. And then the grave digger was going to going to wheel that coffin out to the, to the burial plot and bury it in a shallow grave and then come back after dark and let her out. She'd be freed and it was all so she could give him the money to get his, his cataract surgery on his eyes. And so the old man agreed and together they waited. They waited for this opportunity. Some time passed and suddenly the, the woman heard the death, uh, the death bell ring. And to her ears, that bell ringing was a sound of freedom. She was getting ready to be free. That death was going to pave the way for her victory over, over her bondage, over her chains. And so their scheme kind of went just like it was planned. She waited an appropriate amount of time. She snuck her way down to the basement, into the morgue, and the morgue room was dark, and she felt her way kind of along the wall until she felt, got the coffin and she eased the coffin open, and she slithered into the coffin, uh, and she felt uh, uh, 10 minutes later or so, uh, she felt the coffin being moved in the cart out towards the, uh, towards the graveyard. She could almost taste her freedom, y'all. A few minutes later, she felt the coffin being lowered down into the grave. Then she heard the dirt hitting the lid of the coffin, and she waited in anticipation. Freedom's right around the corner, man. She hears the dirt. Minutes went by. 
She's kind of chilling in the coffin. Minutes went by. Then hours went by. And now, goodness gracious, she's thinking, when is this old man going to come get me out of this grave? So panicked, she pulls out of her pocket a lighter, and she lights it up. And to her utter horror, guess who's in the coffin with her? The grave digger's in the coffin with her. She's face to face with him. Y'all, this woman had foolishly placed her life in the hands of an unreliable deliverer. He had no more power over the grave than she had. So whose trust are you placing the hope that you have? On whose, in, in, in who are you placing your trust in the hope of your deliverance? Buddha? Muhammad? Yourself? Some mystical force out there? Mother Nature? Is that who you're placing your trust in? You better make sure, y'all, when you strike your match that your deliverer is not in the grave with you. So who's it going to be? Who is it that is going to rescue me? And Paul says it in verse 24 and 5. Who, and he's agonizing, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to deliver me from this body of death. And y'all, I would challenge you today. If that hope is not inside of you, if you've placed your hope in this or that, the things of the world, money, yourself, whatever it may be, there is one way. Y'all, it is an exclusive club that anybody can be a member of. All it takes is bowing the knee, repenting and believing that he died on the cross to save you. That's it. So if that's you, I want you all to bow your heads with me. If that is you today, I want you to say this. You can say it in your mind. You can say it out loud. If you're at home, I would, I, would, I would challenge you to get on your knees. There's something about that. Lord, today is the day that I repent of my sin and I ask you to save me. I believe that you died on that cross to save me. And I ask you to save me. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, and don't put on yourself some crazy burden of sinlessness because as long as we're alive in flesh and blood there will be a struggle inside it ain't going away until we die physically so when you wake up tomorrow don't be like my buddy in California and call me and say I must not be saved just know that the one that is living inside of you is greater than the one in the world.